Let me invite you to stand now for the scripture reading and open your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. So we've been in a series in Romans, and Romans certainly is a letter of the New Testament that builds on itself. And so I see some new faces, so you can go to our website and you can listen to any and all of the previous messages, which really bring us to Romans chapter 4. And then I want to invite you back next week because I'm going to deal with the first part of Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. And the next part has everything to do with this part. And so come back next week and hear that. And uh, certainly today is a day to say that our fathers had an impact on our life. And that is part of why we celebrate Father's Day. And Abraham stands as an example of the father of the faith, of a faith that was apart from works. And we're going to explore that uh, today. So Romans chapter 4, and I'll read verses 1 through 12. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness." Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness... How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray your spirit would be at work among us as you promised that we as your people would be guided and led in the truth that we would live the kinds of lives that give you glory, that you would cause us to repent where that needs to happen, encourage us, inspire us in our life to live for you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Did you know that part of the reason flag burning is legal is thanks to the Lone Star State. Oh, yes. Thanks to the Lone Star State, in part, flag burning is 
legal. It went down like this. There was a man named Gregory Lee Johnson in 1984, and he was protesting the Republican National Convention. And uh, it was there in Dallas, and on the uh, steps of the Dallas City Hall, which is an iconic place, he burned an American flag, and he was arrested because this was against Texas law to desecrate the flag. So he was arrested, charged with uh, one year in prison and $2,000 fine. And, you know, $2,000 was actual real money back in the 80s. So this is 1984. He burns a flag. He gets arrested. And he's convicted, and he appeals his conviction to the uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and he is still found guilty. His appeal is rejected. He appeals to the Texas Criminal Court of Appeals, and his appeal is sustained. And Texans don't like this. Attorney General doesn't like this. So what does he do? He appeals to the Supreme Court. This is in 1989 now, five years later. He appeals to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court hands down a 5-4 split decision saying that burning the flag is an expression of free speech, a symbolic expression of free speech. Now, understand this. This created what we call a precedent. What is that? That is a legal decision that goes for the activity under that precedent that then makes it legal for all the actions that follow. 48 states had laws and prohibitions against desecrating the flag, all of those were overturned in that 5-4 decision. And just to kind of blow your mind, Anthony Scalia, one of the uh, cited on the five side of that split decision, just showing you, you can't depend on the Supreme Court. And I tell you all that, you know, Flag Day was uh, last week, and I tell you all this to say that precedence is so vital and important in understanding legal issues. And the Apostle Paul is making a legal case here, as it were. He's stacking up different facts and realities regarding the gospel and now he cites a case. Well, he actually cites two. He cites not only Abraham, but David. He cites a case study, if you will, in salvation by faith alone. Now, what does this mean? This means that we are saved. Uh, we become a Christian not by good works, apart from those good works, apart from fulfilling the law, by faith alone. And so, if you look later in the passage down to uh, verse 21, uh, chapter 4, verse 21, uh, Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so, the idea here is that Abraham had faith. The content of his faith is not, was not as specific as our content, why is that? Because he looked forward to God fulfilling the covenant promises that God made with him. Again, come back next week. You're going to hear about that. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. God promises to Abraham he would make him a mighty nation. 
Uh, He called him, look out at the stars, you'll have this many descendants, Uh, descendants you can't number. Abraham was beyond child-rearing age, so was Sarah, his wife, yet God provided. He fulfilled that promise. Abraham believed God could fulfill his promise. We believe God fulfills his promises. And how did the promise to Abraham, uh, how was it fully realized? Except in Christ. And of course, Abraham knows that now. We know it by looking back. So we have a backwards-looking faith. You can kind of think of it that way. Abraham had a forward-looking faith. Either way, he was fully convinced. And to be fully convinced is what it means to be saved, that we are fully convinced that Christ is enough for us. We are not saved by being good people or doing good works. The good works are not for salvation, but instead they flow from salvation. When we realize the greatness of the salvation that we have, how could we not follow in the ways that God has called us to live? And so that's really the case study here and the precedence. Now, why is this important? Because if you travel through Romans 1 through 3, you will get a good view from Romans 1.18 to Romans 3.20 of the sinful condition of people's heart. And then we get the gospel message. And the gospel is such good news that there would be the temptation to say, well, I have this gospel. I'm not saved by my works. Therefore, my works don't matter. Therefore, my obedience doesn't matter. But what we see here is that obedience flows from this idea that we are saved apart from works. So Abraham is brought as a case study, a precedent. Look at his life. He has been rescued. He has been saved by faith alone. Look at David. That's another point that's being made. And then apply this to ourselves. So the first thing couple points to make, and I'm going to spend the bulk of the passage in verses 1 through 8, is that God blesses his followers with righteousness, this righteousness. Now look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? In other words, there is a by ordinary generation we are related to Abraham. And verse 2, we are descendant from him. Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, Paul is establishing, and this would have been important to Paul because of his Jewish ethnicity and religious background. Abraham was the preeminent Jew. We can think about that, how the relationship he had with God. And so, Paul cites him on purpose because one of the purposes of Romans is to really bring together two very different types of people into one church. And the two types were the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he cites the Jewish example here as a way of showing the unity that should be expressed in the church as Christ brings together this commonality that None of us earn our own way. So if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, verse 2. 
but not before God. No one can boast before God because you can never be good enough. You can never be holy enough to please him on your own. That's why Christ came. Verse 3 takes us, uh, there's a quotation here. See, if there's any question in your life or theologically, where do we go to find God's truth? Right here to the Scripture. And so what does Paul do? Verse 3, he quotes as part of the citation of this case study, he asks this question, verse 3. And by the way, 24 questions are asked from chapter 2 and 3. 24 questions. Five questions asked here in this section of Romans chapter 4. Is the church a good place to ask questions? You better believe it. And to find significant, substantive answers, yes, church is a great place to ask questions. So look at verse 3. What does the Scripture say? This is how we're going to answer the question. What does the Scripture say? And there's a quotation here. Now, when he says Scripture, of course, the New Testament hadn't been canonized yet. So he's talking about the Old Testament. And what do we find there in Genesis 15, 6? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So righteousness is so important because we lack righteousness. Our righteousness must come from somewhere. We cannot manufacture it ourselves. We cannot do enough good things to have enough righteousness. We need the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by faith alone. Abraham looked forward to this righteousness coming. We look back, as I've already explained. And so Abraham believed God. It is through faith that we get the righteousness we need to have our relationship with God healed, reconciled. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. In other words, this is just a principle. I think it doesn't count in 2020 or 2021. If you work, then you get paid. I think we just, we got rid of that, I guess. But he's citing the principle that if we deserve the credit for the good things that we do, if we actually rescue ourselves then we would deserve salvation. But we don't. We don't. Look at verse 5. And to the one who work, who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. You see, salvation. And truth be told, we can struggle with this for the rest of our life. Salvation does not work the way other things do in this world. What am I talking about? You study hard, you get good grades. You work hard, you get a good paycheck. Christianity does not work that way. It is confounding to those types of principles. It is not according to works, not according to how hard you work. It is by God's grace through faith. And so the gospel scandalizes us because it says, you want to work hard? Great but you're not saved by that effort. And by the way, that effort only comes as a result of the one who has rescued you by grace through faith. And so that's what he's citing here. 
The way we are saved is through faith, and we grab on to the righteousness that Christ has given to us in the perfect life he lived and the fact that he took on the penalty that was due to us for sin. So Paul cites the preeminent Jew. Then he cites David. Now, if you think of this scripture, we can think of an easy way. What's the scripture to Paul, the Old Testament? There's an easy division here. The law, the first five books of the Bible, he cites Abraham from the law. And then you can think of the history or the writings as the rest of the Old Testament. And he cites David. Verse 6, David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Now, this is a quotation from Psalm 32, verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The idea here to be blessed is to be in that favorable state that cannot be reversed. And David is reaching out with his Old Testament faith, looking forward to the ultimate deliverance that would come and understanding that this is a blessed state to be in. To receive the forgiveness, have our sins covered. Uh, Did David know something about what it is to be forgiven? Absolutely. Let's not forget David was a man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13, 14. But what else was he? An adulterer and an accessory to murder. He knew this forgiveness that we receive by faith. Do you see it's an agreement with Abraham's faith to David's faith to the faith that the Apostle Paul has? The legal case, if you will, is an unbroken chain going back to Abraham in looking forward to Christ and the New Testament church that is all by faith. God's plan A, there is no plan B. And so that's what you have here. Salvation by God's grace, through faith, we receive the righteousness to make our relationship with God okay again, uh, going back all the way to the garden. And so this is the way of salvation. And then this encourages Jew and Gentile to understand that they have no advantage over the other, that we are all equal in Christ because we are all saved the same way. Now, something, you know, we've gotten a lot of rain, not lately, but... uh, uh, you know, certainly in in May, early part of June, received a lot of rain. And one of the areas that our local fire department is trained in is what's called swift water rescue. Now, if you're down here at the stoplight at Esser and River Road, uh, as I was a couple weeks ago, I was sitting at that stoplight and, oh, how we're sitting in stoplights these days, aren't we? And a great time to pray. Um, And I look over, and I mean, Cibolo Creek, man, it was flowing. It was flowing. And you can kind of imagine, you have to be trained in this area because what happens when it rains? People, uh, you know, they see water and, you know, I got this big truck, I can make it through. And, and they don't 
they don't turn around and they try to go through those low water crossings and it necessitates a rescue. And there's even some pretty crazy people out here who like to go kayaking or canoeing when, it, when the Guadalupe River is really up. And so what happens? Well, the fire department has to come and rescue them. And how do they rescue them? Well, sometimes they take that big ladder truck that they have and they go across the river with it. And as people come down stream, they grab onto it or they throw uh, rope to them and they grab onto the rope. Now, I haven't witnessed this personally, but I guarantee you one thing. When they drag somebody who has been in the water and almost drowned and they're exhausted, fighting for their life, and they drag them to the shore, I guarantee no one stands up and says, boy, I did good, didn't I? I really grabbed onto that rope in a fantastic way. Did you like my form and how I grabbed onto the ladder? Said no one. They do not take credit for affecting their own rescue. Sometimes so exhausted, they can't even get the words thank you out. Sometimes so exhausted on the bank of the river that they have to be basically carried to the ambulance. Why is it then that when we are spiritually rescued, we want to take some credit for that? Why is it when good things happen in our life, we think it's us doing it? Oh, if something bad happens, we'll blame God. But if something good happens, we want to take the credit. This kind of Christianity is something the Scripture knows nothing of. It knows nothing of the creature taking credit from the Creator for the fact of salvation. This is an inadequate theology in every way. What does the Bible tells us? Well, we just took a tour of the convict. Uh, condition of the human heart from Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20. If you look back to chapter 3, verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Later in the chapter, chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Where is the credit that goes to sinners for rescuing themselves? The Bible knows nothing of it. Nothing of it. Ephesians 2.1 tells us we're dead in our trespasses and sins. If we are dead, why do we seek the spotlight from God? Did you, if you're a Christian, did you really make a decision for God? Did you, are you expressing faith in God? Yes. Yes, I hope you are. But that faith is a gift from God. God gave you that faith. If God gave you that faith, don't take credit for it. If God caused you by the Spirit's power, and this goes back to John chapter 3, to be regenerated, and here's what I'm getting at. We, if no one is good, no one righteous, then no one seeks for God. No one is choosing God. The only way you choose God is John chapter 3. You are born again. And if we truly do make a decision for God, but the decision comes after the regeneration because let me tell you the truth, you're not going to pay, left to your own devices, none of us would have 
expressed faith. Regeneration precedes faith and repentance. Otherwise, we don't have a biblical view of sin and the terrible condition of the human heart and the power of God to rescue. Now, there's a couple ways you can apply this because what I'm really talking about here is justification. The declaration that we are righteous before God, that Christ has imputed to us his righteousness, that we are more than saved, we are declared righteous before God. That's the reality of justification. And part of our calling as Christians is to move further into an understanding and an apprehension of this justification and what is true about us. Many people live their entire Christian life not understanding what God has said is true about them. Let me tell you, pretty much every problem we have in our lives could be solved if we just believed what is already true about us in Christ. If we believed what is actually true about us in Christ, that would take care of the vast majority of our problems and the trials and issues that we have in this life. So how do you apprehend justification better? How do you move? First thing is don't move beyond this reality that we are saved by grace. This is not a basic Christian truth. It is fundamental in that sense. It is basic, but it is so rich and so deep that we together, this impacts then your view of yourself. Do you understand what is true about you in Christ? And do you camp out on that? You know, many people, what do they camp out on? You can kind of think of a cow chewing cud, right? Rumin, this is the process of rumination, and how does that work? I know it's a little bit graphic, but the cow eats the grass and then swallows it and then kind of burps it up, vomits it up, chews on it some more. Well, what is, what are you ruminating about? Do you ruminate about the things that you've done wrong in your life? Do you have remorse over uh, sins that you've committed? What about do we ruminate on how other people have treated us unfairly? Do you think about those things more or do you think about, do you ruminate on, do you meditate on? Because the Christian process of meditation is not emptying the mind, it is filling the mind and turning over and over again what is true about us in Christ. Do you think on what Sins you've committed, sins committed against you, or do you think on what is true about you in Christ? So it affects your view of yourself. It also impacts your relationship with others, how you treat others. Do you see others, and do you have mercy and compassion upon them? Is that your instinct, to have mercy and compassion upon people instead of being critical of them because you understand they're a fellow sinner? They are a fellow sinner in need of God's grace. And the, the, so it affects how you view yourself, applying justification to how we view others, having mercy and compassion on others, knowing that we are equal, that we are all have the same starting line, which is we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and only Christ can rescue us. And third way this impacts us is our worship. 
our worship. And we're going to sing, if you look in your bulletin there, for the Lord's Supper, we'll sing this song, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. And we'll sing that in a few moments. But what I'm getting at is this is an application of the Christian life that you and I would worship driven by an understanding of what God has done for us in Christ, that we would worship with some passion and enthusiasm. Uh, Each year I try to read through the Bible, and when you read through the Bible all the way through, you come across things that maybe you wouldn't normally encounter. And I was reading Job some time ago, Job 26, And Job, that's a chapter where Job is extolling the greatness and the goodness of God. And he says at the end of that chapter, Job says, this is Job 26, 14. So it's smack in the middle of Job. You're not going to read it normally. No one quotes it. here's Here's the verse. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? And what that's getting at, you can think the best theologically trained, accurate thoughts of God ever. You haven't even begun. You haven't even started. These are but the outskirts of his ways. And so often, you know what you and I do? We explain away the wonder of what it is to follow God, that he organizes all the events of our life, that he has rescued and saved us. We forget to wonder at all that God has done. And so it affects your worship, doesn't it? It's all apart from works, all as a result of justification. Abraham knew it in part. David understood it in part. We know it in a fuller sense because we're on the other side of the cross. And so God blesses his followers with righteousness, with the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by faith alone. And the second half of this passage, I told you I was going to spend most of my time on the first part. I kept my word on that. Second part of this passage, verses 9 through 12, is an explanation of exactly chronologically when this was true for Abraham. Just in case you still are holding out, that it's a little bit of works. Well, it's 90% God, and it's 10% me. Or, you know, I'm very mature theologically, so I understand it's 99% God and 1% me. This is all blown out of the water through this explanation that, look in verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith What? While he was still uncircumcised. And so this is the final argument that it is not what he did in following God and being circumcised, that the seal that was applied to him, the sign and seal of circumcision, 
pointed to a spiritual reality that was already true. And that's true in our own theology with our understanding of baptism and what's happening there in the Lord's Supper, that these are signs and seals of things that are true. And so that was the case with Abraham. And as a result, verse 11, it made him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who do what? Walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It's a, it's a complex argument that maybe we don't quite grasp the relevancy of it, but certainly you would if you had a Jewish background. And here we see in this passage fully before us the fact that we have a spiritual forefather, whether you are Jew or Gentile, a spiritual forefather who believed by faith apart from works. And the reformers would call this sola fide. They used Latin, faith alone. And this is how we are justified in the works, the obedience absolutely for God's glory flows from that faith that we have. And it gives God glory when we walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. Let's pray together. Lord, how we thank you that indeed you have rescued us, that it is not our own righteousness, but by faith alone that we are rescued. How we are astounded at whatever we know of you, it is but the outskirts of your ways. Lord, let that fact humble us. Give us hearts overflowing with gratitude that we together as your people might live a life thankful and focused on what is true about us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.